I mean, you know, we serve an awesome God. He shall do more than we could ever ask or think. Praise God. Those of you who just made it back to church and you think I shrunk, I didn't. Still the same height. I'm just down off the stage because right where I'm standing is the air conditioning bit. <laughs> but, so I don't have to worry about waving off too much sweat. I want to say Happy Father's Day to all of you fathers. This is going to get on my mic. To all of you men who have served as mentors, coaches, teachers, and you've had an impact in some person's life somewhere. So, happy Father's Day to us all. Praise God. It is good to see your faces. Some of you I have not seen in months. Some of y'all even got better looking since I saw y'all. Praise God. Some of y'all just still look good anyways. <laughs> all right. Title of today's message is, It's Time to Get Up. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at your word this morning, speak to our hearts. Challenge us, O oh God, to move from where we are to where it is you would have us be. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you have ever asked the question, Lord, how many times should I forgive? How many times should I have to put up with this? How long is enough enough? And those are some of the questions that are being asked in our nation today. But they are not new questions. They have been asked by the people of God throughout the history of the Scriptures. The Israelites, when they were slaves for 400 years in the Bible, they were God's chosen people. And yet, they also said to God, God, if you are who you say you are, then why do we have to keep on being oppressed in this manner? And not only do nations, as I said, ask these questions, individuals ask them as well. And one person in Scripture that had to deal with this in his life was Joseph. We met Joseph in our Scripture reading today. I saw a quote the other day that I shared with Pastor Toby. As we were lying there in bed. It said, God is probably doing a hundred different things in your life right now, and you are probably aware of only three of them. The reality is, sometimes we have no idea how where we are right now is part of a much bigger process of what God is doing not only in our lives, but in the life of the church and in the life of the world. Now, I want you to imagine with me for a moment that day when Jesus was crucified. And there he was up on the cross. He's bleeding. He's sweating. He's gasping for breath. He's slowly and painfully dying. And I am sure that somebody that just happened to be going into Jerusalem that day passed by, probably got angry when they saw Jesus on the cross. Not because they knew who Jesus was, but because they said, I am sick and tired of another Jew being strung up on a pole by the Roman government. No justice, no peace. 
I am certain they probably wanted to kill the Roman soldiers who were there with the sole purpose of making sure nobody got to Jesus before Jesus was dead. They may have even thought, one day I'm going to get my revenge. They had no idea that the hand of God was actually involved in this event. Some might have even said, this is why I don't want anything to do with religion. Where was God when this innocent man is up here dying? Yet God was right there in the innocent man who was crying out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Are we willing to believe that Jesus just might be right? That people might not understand what they are doing even when they are hurting others? We're going to look at Joseph. And we're going to cover his life from chapter 37 all the way to chapter 50. Good news is we're not going to try to do it all today. <laughs> there will be a second part to the sermon, maybe even a third part. Now, Joseph had 11 brothers, and his 11 brothers, they came from four different women, but all had the same father, and his name was Je uh, Jacob. And unfortunately, all four of these women and all four of their children, I mean, 11 of their children, they all lived together in one big family. How many of you know there was a lot of tension in that home? <laughs> to make matters worse, everybody knew that Joseph's mother was actually Jacob's favorite of the four wives. She actually was the only one that Jacob actually chose for himself. And her name was Rachel. And Rachel, she died childbirth while giving birth to Joseph's brother, Benjamin. Now, maybe it was out of grief over the loss of his wife, Rachel, that Jacob went overboard in the way he treated uh, Joseph and his younger brother, Benjamin. After all, they were the youngest of the two sons. But it was clear that Joseph became the favorite of his father, and his other ten brothers resented him for him. Didn't really matter much to Benjamin. He was too young to know what was going on anyways. And he and Joseph were always, always, always close because they had shared the same mother and shared the same loss of their mother. Now, when you look at Jacob's family, that is proof that God does not look for perfect people or perfect families in order to get his will and plans accomplished. You're talking about a dysfunctional family? This one was dysfunctional. You can say, thank God my family wasn't that bad. <laughs> but we can't just write them off. Matter of fact, we really can't just write off anybody because we never know what God is doing. This messed up family is one day going to have a descendant who is going to transform history for all of humanity. 
And that descendant is going to be none other than Jesus Christ himself. You know, how many of you have said, you know, I really would like for God to speak to me. I really would like for God to give me a vision. How many of you know, sometimes when God does that, it gets us into trouble with other people? Because they become envious and they become jealous. <laughs> when God starts to set apart Joseph for the ministry he's calling him to, things get worse between Joseph and his brothers. Because God started showing Joseph this is going to happen in the future. And Joseph had two dreams. And in his two dreams, both dreams, you could see the interpretation very easily. First dream, all 11 of his brothers would one day bow down to him. Second dream, not only would all 11 of his brothers bow down to him, his parents would bow down to him as well. Now, this didn't go over too well with Joseph's father, and his father rebuked him for his dreams. And with Joseph being the second youngest of the 11, it was very unlikely that this was going to happen. So now you've got to combine Joseph's ego that he is going to be somebody special and Joseph being the favorite of his father. And you can see why his brothers are not very fond of him. Then to make matters worse, Joseph was what you would call a tattletale. His brothers went and did something they weren't supposed to do. Everybody agreed, when we get home, nobody's going to say anything about this to Dad. Time they got home, Joseph said, Dad, let me tell you what they did. And they all got in trouble for it. So, so Joseph wasn't... He just wasn't really this likable kind of person. Now, when Joseph was about 17 years of age, his father sent him looking for his brothers because his father started to get worried about him. They had been gone for a number of days, and it was time for them to come back home. But they didn't show up. And his father didn't know what had happened to them. And Jacob actually loved all of his children. They just didn't know it. They could only see the favoritism that he showed to Joseph. But I think there was a guilt that Jacob carried around inside of him that led to his favoritism of Joseph. You see, before Jacob left his father-in-law and took all his family and was going back to the land of Israel... Uh, his father-in-law got mad, and he came after him. And his father-in-law says, look, you're taking my, my daughters, you're taking my flocks, blah, blah, blah. But why on earth did you have to take my household gods? And Jacob knew he had not touched Laban's idol gods. And so he didn't think anybody else had either. So he made the bold statement if anybody is found with your gods, that person shall not live among my people. And Rachel, Jacob didn't know it, but Rachel had stolen her father's gods. 
And just before they got to where Jacob's family was, Rachel died in childbirth. And I think Jacob probably was feeling some kind of guilt that he had made this bold declaration and then it happened the way he did. He probably thought, if only I hadn't made that curse, maybe Rachel would still be alive. I say all that because I want you to realize that sometimes parents do show favoritism. But the favoritism your parents may have shown your brother or your sister, it may have absolutely nothing to do with you. It might have something to do with something that happened in their lives that they never really worked out with God. And they haven't been able to move on from it. Now, you can make the choice to forgive them and move on, or you can also say stuck, just like Jacob was. Now, Joseph, he's willing to go look for his, bro- his uh, brothers, just like his father's requested. And Joseph is actually risking his life to do it because he doesn't know what happened to his brothers. And the same fate that fell to them... They might still be out there looking for him. But he could see his father's concern, so he went. And when Joseph finally, somebody has to help him out to tell him where they went, finally goes in the direction of his brothers, his brothers recognize him at a distance because he was wearing a multicolored robe that his father had given him as showing his special favoritism for him. And when his brothers saw him coming over that hill with that coat, that was enough to make them angry and upset. One of them said, Here comes the dreamer! Let's kill him, throw him into a pit, say that a ferocious animal tore him to pieces, then we're going to see what comes of his dreams. One of his brothers, Reuben, who was the oldest, he really didn't want to kill Joseph. So he said, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him into the pit and let him die there. He actually planned to come back and get Joseph out of the pit, but he didn't get the opportunity. But I want us to realize, envy and jealousy can cause us to see a distorted version of the truth. Joseph's brothers did not see a person coming to them who was genuinely concerned about their welfare. All they saw was this beautiful, multicolored robe which represented a privilege they did not have. What they didn't see was what they did have. We don't always recognize how much we are influenced by our society. We don't recognize a lot of times that some of the ideas we hold might not be what we came up with ourselves. 
For instance, um, when it comes to terms that we use, they cause us to see the world in a particular way. A good one that we use all the time that is racist and probably in its intent and in its outcome. Now, I'm going to be honest with you for a moment. I live in Glenville. If I'm walking down the street and it's an isolated street and I had the choice between seeing two black guys that I don't know walking toward me or two policemen who happen to be white walking toward me, I actually feel a little bit more comfortable with the two white policemen. Why? Because of a phrase we use too often, black-on-black black crime. It has been drilled in my head. It has been drilled in my heart. So when I see you, I'm thinking, uh-uh, I'm about to be a part of black-on-black black crime. Now let me ask you this. Who commits most of the crime in neighborhoods that are predominantly white? What color are the criminals? Who commits most of the murders against white people in the states, especially where there are hardly any black people? Who commit most of the financial crimes through fraud and outright theft are white people? White people. How come we never use the phrase white on white crime? When was the last time you saw that in the newspaper? <laughs> when was the last time you said it? Why is it not a part of our regular culture? Why does nobody ever ask the question, why does white people keep killing white people? Do you see how the term black-on-black black crime makes us afraid of each other? And if it makes us afraid of each other, you can imagine what it does when white people see two black people walking down the street. They don't fear each other the same way we fear each other. That's a privilege from not being constantly reminded that you are prone to commit crimes against each other. When people find out that we live near 110th and St. Clair, they act like we live in Afghanistan. <laughs> in a war zone. I've seen the look on some people's faces. But that's the image the news gives of my community. So some of y'all even afraid to come down to 110th and St. Clair. Meet me downtown.
If we want to stop the problems of racial tension, we need to stop highlighting tragedies as though they are normal events that take place. Can we also be honest and admit things are not like they were in the 40s, the 50s, and the 60s. My grandmother raised 13 kids, most of the time by herself. They live near the butcher pen in Georgia. For those of you who don't know what a butcher pen is, that's where they kill the cows and everything up and strip them up, cut meat off, throw it in the trash. In the summertime, you would keep your mask on if you had a mask. We didn't have any masks back in those days. That place, our home, would smell terrible in the summertime. We were so poor, my mama told me, she said, sometime mother would go to the trash can at the butcher pen to get some of the meat that hadn't spoiled yet out of the trash because we didn't have anything else to eat. Now, some of us have similar stories of poverty that our families came out of. White privilege is something that is real in today's world. But not all whites participate in the privilege to the same degree. We forget that there are a lot of poor white people, brown people, red people, yellow people, and black people. Dr. King was one of the first ones to kind of point this out. That's what the Poor People's March on Washington was all about. The temptation we face is to look at the beautiful, multicolored robe of those above us when many of us have a multicolored robe of our own. How many of you know there are millions of white people in this country today who would love to live in your house? They would love to drive the car you drive. They would love to make the salary you make. You see, they don't see white privilege in the same way as we see it especially when we're looking at it from our middle-class view. When we went to um, that overnight at Bay Presbyterian Church, and we broke up in groups, and I heard, and, and I was in a group, I think uh, I might have been the only black person in the group, but I'm listening to these people from Bay Village talk about the people from, I think it was Westlake, and they were saying how Bay Village whites didn't have much to do with Westlake whites and how they couldn't really cross ground with each other because one of them had money and one of them didn't. I said to them, listen to y'all, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. 
We have never thought of y'all as divided whites. Y'all just west side. <laughs> and everybody's the same. Everybody is not the same. Here's a radical thought from Jesus. What are we going to do if we do get a brighter multicolored coat? What are we going to do with it to help those who really have nothing? Are we going to simply invest in more stocks and bonds? Are we going to move further and further away from those people down there on 110th and St. Clair so we can be safe? Or will we really think about how can we invest in others? Remember Jesus said there was a man who was greatly blessed. And he was trying to figure out, what am I going to do with this blessing? And instead of thinking about how he could help others, he said, I am going to invest it more and more into me. I'll build bigger barns so that I can store it in my bigger ones. And Jesus said, you fool, tonight your soul will be required of you. And you are not rich for God. How many of us want to be rich so that we can be rich for God? How many of us want to be rich so that we can be rich? When Joseph did finally reach his brothers, I can imagine Joseph getting there saying, Man, I'm so tired. I sure am glad I found you guys. I almost got lost looking for y'all. And the next thing he knew, his brothers had stripped him of his designer coat, threw him down into the well, hit the bottom with a boot and a thud, and, and he's trying to figure out what is going on. You know, sometimes the very people that you go out to help are going to turn around and try to rip you off. <laughs> They're going to turn against you. They're going to seek to cause you harm. Can you imagine what it must be like to be a, a policeman today or a policeman's son or daughter? You know how kids are. They listen to the news. They're going to make all kind of comments. There is no question that we need a change and how quickly we should get bad policemen off the streets and into another job or into jail if it's warranted. But the reality is the vast majority of policemen are just like us. They want to go to work, they want to get paid, and they want to come back home and to be with their families. But we have turned a vast majority of hardworking people, public servants, into a despicable group of people just because of a few terribly rotten apples. The maker of the, that was doing the advertisement for Lego, you know those little Lego things? They said, we're going to pull all of our ads for Lego pieces that have to do with policemen and firemen. Now, let me ask you this. 
If they house catch on fire, who are they going to call? If somebody is breaking into their house, who are they going to call? <laughs> Even though we like to make people seem as though they are something terrible. I was driving down E-79, and uh, just as I got to St. Clair, I saw this guy who was, was a black gentleman, older gentleman, coming down, and he had some bags. And just as he got to the corner, the stuff spilled out of his bags. And there was a police car right there at the light. They pulled right over in front of him, got out of their car. They happened to be two young white policemen. Got out of their car, went over and picked the stuff off the sidewalk and put it in the guy's bag. Them kind of stories don't... <laughs> They don't make the news in our community. I remember Edith Legrand. She got locked out of her house. <laughs> Here it is in Glenville in the dark. Pastor Toby go over there trying to help her. They call the fire department at night. Fire department shows up. Two white guys. They climb up on top of Edith's roof. They go pull out the air conditioning. They go through the window. And they go in the house and open the doors. That's Toby said, those were the nicest guys I'd ever met. Again, those kind of stories don't make the news. What is it that's inside of us that wants us to see the ugly, the gory? I can remember when we was a kid, just to show you how warped we were. After church on Sunday, every time there was a wreck, they pulled the wreck in at this shop some kind of way. So you could see what weekend wrecks had happened. And you always was hoping it was a, a really bad wreck. And you would look, and boy, you was looking to see if you could find some blood somewhere in the car. Oh, 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 look at that blood. Oh, oh. There's just something in us that's attracted. Well, maybe y'all wasn't. Maybe I'm just talking about myself, but that, that, that's what we did. You know, little did Joseph know that also, although he saw himself as coming to rescue his brothers, he was the one that was going to need to be rescued. I want us to remember this. Jesus had a father who was concerned about his children, who had been gone away for far too long. And the father sent Jesus to come looking after us to bring us home. But just like Joseph's brother, when we see Jesus coming at a distance, we make up our minds in advance toward, uh, and decide why it is Jesus is coming toward us. We say sometimes, 
Here comes the dreamer. Let's kill him and see what becomes of his dreams. What dreams did Jesus have? Jesus didn't come with a dream of a white man's religion. Jesus was a Middle Eastern person. We forget about that. Jesus dreamed of a kingdom that would be made up of all races and all people. Jesus talked about a kingdom in which people would come from the east and the west. Got them backwards. That's east. That's west. <laughs> from the north and the south in order to sit down together at the table in his kingdom. Jesus talked about a kingdom where people were paid fair wages and then some for the work that they did. Jesus talked about a kingdom that was concerned especially about poor people, especially widows and orphans. Jesus talked about a kingdom that included political enemies, Jews and Romans kneeling before the same God. Jesus talked about a kingdom including loving your enemies. He talked about a kingdom where the physically disabled, the physically handicapped, would be invited to a banquet along with everybody else. He spoke of a kingdom in which those who have wealth would be eager to help those who had very little. He spoke of a kingdom in which we would recognize one Lord, one King, one Master, and we would be obedient in our hearts. He spoke of a kingdom in which everyone entering would see themselves as a sinner in need of a Savior and that no one had any kind of privilege in the kingdom of God. His followers would then work to make that kingdom a reality here on earth. Jesus wasn't crucified because he wanted people to go to heaven. He was thrown by us down into the pit because Jesus wanted us to change the way we treat each other. He actually claimed he had something to say about our money, which he claimed was really his. He actually claimed he had something to say about how we should live our lives when it comes to righteousness. He actually claimed we were no better than the worst of the sinners of his day. He actually would say, no justice, no peace. But he would deal with the justice in relationship to our sin as well. You see, what justice is there asking to be forgiven if we refuse to forgive? What justice is there in hating another person but expecting to be received by God? What justice is there in rejecting the law of God and yet expecting to spend eternity with God? Without the work of Jesus Christ dying on the cross to pay for the injustices that we have done, there can be no lasting peace with God. There can be no lasting peace with each other. Jesus did it so that we could be justified through, with God through Christ. Because the penalty has already been paid. There Joseph was down in that pit begging his brothers to let him out. 
Reuben! Naphtali! Gad! Dan! Issachar! Brother after brother, no response. As a matter of fact, they're laughing at his pleas and in his, at his pain. There they are, sitting up top, eating a good meal and having a good time. And they spot some slave traders passing by on the road to Egypt. And Judah, one of the brothers, says, Why should we kill him and get nothing for it? After all, he is our brother. Let's just sell him as a slave. Can you see the irony in that? After all, he is our brother. So let's just condemn him to a life of slavery. They begin to take Joseph up out of the pit, but it's not to the life that he's expecting. We'll find out next week what happened when he got out of the pit.